on January 30th of 1947, a mighty blizzard steamrolled over all of southern Saskatchewan. It rendered it paralyzed, forcing the entire region to remain totally shut down. Hi, I'm Chris May, writer, producer, and host of This Day in Weather History, now in its second year from the Weather Network in Canada. The Great Saskatchewan Blizzard of 1947 hit an area where families are still getting to know each other after returning from World War II, this day in weather history. Welcome back to the third day in our terrifying trilogy of blizzard stories. The blizzard is the most fierce and unforgiving storm you will ever experience in winter. It is as punishing as it is relentless. And today was the prairie blizzard, worst in Canadian railway history. There were also populations of displaced residents from Great Britain who were moved to the Canadian prairies as a result of the devastating Blitzkrieg bombing of their country back home. Single mothers and fatherless children, all still trying to put the pieces back together again in a land so beautiful, but a land that winter loves to beat up on every year. And you're probably wondering, why am I featuring a story from January 30th today on February 8th? It is a good question. It was on this day in weather history when the Great Saskatchewan Blizzard of 1947 finally ended. You heard it right, do the quick math. That was a 10-day blizzard. Remember that criteria that I keep dropping about the definition of a blizzard? Let's go over it again, a number of things must happen, four consecutive hours. 10 days is ridiculous. Southern Sask was effectively totally shut down through February 8th. And as I said earlier, Environment Canada called the storm the worst in Canadian railroad history. The snow piled up and then was blown all around, creating almost Middle Arabia-sized sand dunes made of snow. It was an impossible situation. The Regina Leader Post newspaper tried everything to keep up with the news and updates for their readers, as the paper was back then the leading means for communication in those times. But after a while, <laughs> even for them, it became too much. During the 10-day flight of this storm, the headline of this paper read on one of the days, Province, just one big snowdrift. <laughs> that was effectively the writer throwing up their hands, exclaiming, That's it! I'm out! I got no more! This is insanity! The snowdrifts blocked roads and rail lines from Calgary all the way to Winnipeg, my goodness. And some of that stayed in place until spring. In so many places, and because of that epic drifting I described a moment ago, only the tops of telephone poles, oh my gosh, were visible in some communities. And transportation to the province, of course, as I mentioned for about the third or fourth time, that was ground to a halt. No kidding, you could only see the tops of telephone poles. Welcome to year two of this podcast. Right now, you're listening to the full version of today's story on your favorite podcast provider. But there's also the daily podcast video short. They're shot right here in my podcast recording studio, so you get that perspective. But oftentimes, they will include visuals from that day's event from when it happened in weather history. So after listening to the full story, go check out the podcast video short on television or online anytime at theweathernetwork.com forward slash weather history. During the storm's life on February 3rd, Regina set a North American record when temperatures reached, reached, dropped to negative 60 degrees Celsius. That is as close to the purest definition of salt in the wound as I think I could ever think of. You see, while homes and businesses will normally turn down the heat to conserve fuel, at that time mainly 
coal or oil, I suppose. Municipal power plants were also forced to ration electricity with dim-outs, and city coal dealers borrowed army trucks for deliveries because they were the only vehicles that could successfully make it through this impossible mess. You gotta know that Saskatchewan is well known for rough winters, and their citizens take pride in wearing that badge of tough resilience against this seasonal peril. However, having said that, many still consider the winter of 1947 to be the worst. Storms began just after Christmas and continued on and off for weeks. Food and other necessary supplies in and out of the region slowed to a trickle. Home delivery was impossible and people were forced to struggle through the high drifts and accumulation piles of snow just to make it to central supply depots for their milk and other groceries. And the intense record-setting cold put a massive strain on the already depleted coal supplies. For farmers, it was a whole different hell. Locals told the tale of a farmer who had no other option but to feed his chickens by tossing grain down the coop chimney, while another was said to have cut a hole in his barn roof to keep his cattle fed. Then, with the massive accumulation and even higher drifts, others had to dig snow tunnels to get from the home to the shed in these conditions. <laughs> Believe it or not, it got worse. The food and coal supplies began to dwindle, so some towns organized emergency overland trips to retrieve shipments that were grounded at train depots up the line. But they only had sleds, and the blizzard that was still tearing things up made that idea as dangerous as it was impossible. Ten days after it started, this day in weather history. Tomorrow is February 9th, and now that our terrifying trilogy of blizzards is over, we move stealthily on to a powerful winter storm of a different feather, the 1969 Nor'easter that affected the Mid-Atlantic and New England regions between February 8th and 10th. We pick it up right in the middle on this day in weather history with me, your host, Chris May.